And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody. Oh, it is hard work being this good. I was like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like a, a big choo-choo train. We join the Jim Huber Show, already in progress. I did uh, that with not having any type of medication. <laughs> We got Coach Greg Brown at uh, David Lipscomb University. I guess it's Lipscomb now, isn't it, Coach? The old school guys still say David Lipscomb sometimes, but but most people know it as Lipscomb. We'll take it either way. Yeah, he's a head women's basketball coach there, but the greatest thing about it is that uh, he's written a book, and he's able to coach under Pat Summit and also Don Meyer. Two incredible individuals that um, actually with Pat Summit losing her life this year, I'm sure it's a emotional time for you. and. Yes, yes, it was in June. I think 28th of June was when it was, and then we had the memorial service in July. What was it like at her service? How 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 was she remembered? You know, it was almost two weeks afterwards that they had the memorial service in Knoxville. So, you know, I, I don't know what it'd have been like had it been right after. But with two weeks right there, I had we got up there early and done some media things, and they had some, you know, a, a get together for people. And I just stopped to get a get a water at a gas station, and there were people from Texas. Had driven in for it, just fans, and you know it, it blew my mind. Coach Meyer used to always say that that your funeral service will be attended depending on the weather, you know. But both of them were, were were different than that. People came from all over just to be a part of that, and it's such a you know the the word is a cliche word now community, but it really is. And when you saw the number of players and, and former student assistants and, and coaches and coaches from the SEC that were there, there were two rows of officials there. That came to be at it, wow. but it's those, yeah, it's those types of things you realize, you know, the impact that that both of them had, not just on coaches, not just on whoever, but one for generations and two globally, and and there's very few people that that will have that op- that opportunity. Yeah, because Don Meyer was pretty much similar to that, wasn't it? I mean, with the I'll tell you what, coaches was, was scared. You know, he had we had two memorial service for him, one in Aberdeen and one here in Nashville. And we went up for the one in Aberdeen, and I went running that morning. It's a small town, obviously. And on all the signs, you know, that they had, like the marquee signs, it was, you know, thank you, coach. You know, thank the Meyer fan. Just all up down through there. I had a Lipscomb T-shirt on running. And I had, I don't you know, half a dozen people stopped me and say, you know, thank me for Coach Meyer. Well, I had nothing to do with it. But, but you know, just that, that sense of loyalty that they had to him. And, and it was neat that there were two different communities, Nashville and Aberdeen, Northern and Lipscomb, you know, had shared those things. But both both memorial services for him and the one with Pat, you know, were standing room only. You've written a book called The Best Things I've Seen in Coaching. Well, let me correct you. I didn't write. Okay. I copied and pasted my notes <laughs> Right there. This is all pad and coach. Uh, I, I didn't add any of my my. There's nothing need to be added to it. It's straight from them. You know something I noticed that even when I went to you know some of uh, Coach Myers you know clinics and camps that he had, and it was about you know having notebooks and carrying them around and taking notes. And I noticed like in the book that you kind of written it or put it together in kind of a Cornell note-taking yep. system. Can you kind of explain that, what Don Meyer, what he taught in that and in, in regards to taking notes and learning? Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's 
prove it. Not just what Coach said, but there's you know there's statistics behind it of writing things down. And, and the biggest thing is when you write things down, it frees up your mind to think more. You know, we both know and, and studying people that we don't have enough time to sit and think. We have too much on our minds. So he was big in just writing things down to be able to so that you could retrieve them and review them and go forward. Pat was the same way. He used notebooks at, at UT as well. And the Cornell system, which comes from you know obviously the university, it's a, you take one third of your page and leave a margin and you take notes in the two-thirds part and then it gives you an opportunity on the outside to write down thoughts that you had about it or questions that you had and that's why I put it together that way I didn't want it just to be a book that sat on a shelf I use it I have a spiral bound one and I use it to make my own notes in you know uh, if we're gonna if our team is going through something or we're trying to teach some competitiveness we'll, we'll pull a quote from Pat or something in there and I'll make a note in the date and, and this is how our team responded or this is we need to use this I want it to be a, a thought pad not just a, a book and uh, I know both of them want, you know, they. I want an opportunity to be able to share what I had learned and been around them and also a way to continue to share, you know, what, what they put out there. Coach Meyer, when he was at, you know, it'd be at the camps or clinics, you'd be walking around with him and he had, I remember he had that uh, recorder. It was like a little. little the dictaphone. Oh, yeah, yeah. dictaphone. He, he'd get out of his pocket and he'd be like, awesome, uh, that uh, down screen on set, come off, didn't come off tight enough, uh, need to come off tighter, uh, be more patient. And he'd just like give them notes or, hey, tomorrow I need to make you send this out. Is that something you see yourself doing as well as walking around and kind of taking notes or writing stuff down to remind yourself like he did? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from picking up trash, you feel guilty if you step across something. It's a ghost to him that comes back at you. But, and it's not just me. It, it, you see it across our campus. And But it's something that if you look at a lot of successful CEOs talk about their ability to take notes. And, and it's not so much in the writing them down. It's being able to retrieve the information. And then what you do with the information when you're able to do it. You know, we all know people that are like, oh, I've got that somewhere. Well, you know, Coach always talked about get a system, any system, and just use it. You know, it doesn't have to be somebody else's system. And that's probably one of the biggest things that I got from him. But it's funny to look at Pat and how similar they were in, in those types of things, uh, organization and process type stuff and notebooks and, and being teachers, not just coaches. The first thing about the Tennessee way in your notes was be honest. What are some of the ways that coaches are dishonest with players? I think just not telling them what we see sometimes. I, I think it's, you know, that – we hold back, and I don't mean that, that you got to be blunt or brutal or anything, but just, you know, telling them what they need sometimes, not necessarily what they want to hear. Uh, same thing with parents. We do it as parents probably more so than any time. And that's what Pat talked about. And, you know, one of the greatest things about Pat was when she told you you'd done a good job, you knew at the end of the day you'd done a good job. It wasn't just fluff. It wasn't just talk. She also told you, and, you know, the, her phrase was, that's unacceptable. And you knew she wasn't doing it to demean you or anything. You were like, crap, I didn't hit the standard today. And, and then you would ask about follow-up. But I, I think that's how sometimes we're, we're not necessarily honest. And we're also not honest with ourselves at times and, and know what our own reality is. We know what our perception of it is, but not necessarily our own reality. And uh, as a coach and a player both, I think uh, at times we're dishonest with ourselves. The other thing you think about, too, is you might talk to people about Don Meyer coach doing the one-minute assessment, and I think that's a way to be honest with kids. And you might talk to our listeners about that and how he used it and approach with his uh, players. Yeah, and, and we use it, and it's huge right now. What, what he would say was is after, you know, after a drill or after a period of practice, depending on how you break your, your things down, or even if it's a meeting with your, with your employees, you know, real quick, one thing that went well, one thing that we could do better. Just one-minute assessments right there. So, one, you can catch them doing good. 
and you can figure out well, where's an opportunity for growth right here, as opposed to just you know hammering them for what we did wrong, or maybe and a lot of times it's just one guy messing something up or couldn't get it, and you forget about the four right there who had done everything and executed well. So it gives them a chance to catch them doing things right and doing well, and then also a point. Okay, we're going this next period right here. Here's our opportunity for growth. We weren't talking well enough. We weren't spreading the screen. We're making the right reads, whatever it is. And then it, it also gives them a chance to refocus and move on. Uh, we'll do it in timeouts, and then at halftime we do it as well. You know, at halftime we do three things. Three things offensively we do well. Three things defensively. Three things we need to improve on on each end as well. The other thing I liked what he talked about is don't just say, hey, Troy, nice pass, or hey, nice finish. It's kind of like, hey, nice job making a, you know, a fake high, throwing low, wrapping that pass to get a great angle. Like telling them what they did well, how they, how they did it well. You know what's crazy about that now, when you see the TED Talks or you read uh, Mindset or Mind Gym with Dwick and, and, and Grit with, with Duckworth and all these people who are talking about the behavioral part of to the mind and how things work. That's what Coach was talking about. Don't don't praise the result. Encourage the process. And don't 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 praise a guy for making the three. Tell him it's a great job of holding a high one second follow through. Don't praise him for making the good pass. Praise him for hey that's a heck of a pass fake. Encourage them from the things that they can control, and, and that's what Pat and Coach were both ahead of the time on, was was getting you to focus on the things that you can control. Saban's known now as a process and controllables and those types of things. I think they were ahead of him on that, and Wooden and Dean Smith were probably ahead of everybody else, you know, before that as well. But that that's what Coach was getting at. Don't get away from the results. Focus on the things you can control. Everybody can pass fake. Everybody can shot fake. You know, everybody can do those things. You know, people were so much in success, and you had five ways to maintain success. Can you talk about those five and kind of the importance of them and, and uh, you know, how individuals can emphasize that in their programs to maintain success? Well, I think the first thing you know, you're talking about right there is you win with people. And no matter if you're recruiting or, or, or hiring people or coaching or whatever, it's the people you surround yourself with, whether it's your staff or you know, even even if you take a job with administrators, they're going to have a, a big determination in, in how quote unquote successful you're going to be, and you know, uh, loyalty. Pat was, was so much about that. Uh, it's not about the winning necessarily, the score part of it, but doing the things that it takes to win. Coach would talk about. He would say a little different way. He said, "Don't focus on winning. Focus on ways to win." And you know, obviously, being organized and having a system, which is on the floor and off the floor. And communication, both of them communicated excellently. Coach was a little different. If you've been to his clinic, you know he spoke in riddles sometimes, and he had to kind of, he had to kind of know the context of what he was talking about. But he had such a way of communicating a complex thing that would take probably me a hundred words. He could do it four and paint a great word picture for you. That's one of the hardest things that coaches deal with is getting kids to communicate on a consistent basis. What are the things you learned through Coach Summit and Coach Meyer and that you use today that you felt like effective? in getting kids to communicate. I'll be honest, until really this spring, we, we'd struggle like anybody else with it. And you're thinking, crap, how did Coach and Pat get it? You know, they could do it. And what we tried to do was unpack that a little bit more. We early, loud, and often, we, we say the same thing. I think a lot of times, two things. One, the conditioning, if, they can't, if they're out of shape, they can't talk. Two, if they're scared, they can't talk. Their, their mind's going a million miles an hour. So they have to have a level of, of conditioning, a level of comfort. And what we've tried to do is unpack what what is talk. What does that sound like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And, and literally giving them a, a 
a, a verbiage, giving them a language of their own to use. So if I'm on defense, and, and it's not just saying deny, 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 or ball, 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 like we, we've heard, what, what's the message I'm trying to send? I'm here on your left. I've got you covered. So we've tried to unpack exactly what message we're trying to send as opposed to just telling them to talk because they, they can't can or won't figure it out whichever way. So we've tried to really harp on effective communication, send a message when you talk. And then on that same note, we've tried to talk less as coaches. We tend to talk too much. And the less we'll talk when our words become more valuable, two, the more it probably makes them talk. They get used to us talking for them sometimes. I know in my case. No, that's, that's true. And I didn't know if you, you do any, like, team-building exercises or anything like that off the floor to get those kids to kind of feel more comfortable talking to you. Well, that's the comfort part of it, but, and, and especially with women. You know, that, that's, that's the big thing right there is comfort. The, the biggest pro- problem, the, the obstacle sometimes we see on the women's side is, is that there are f- – they're, they're a little slow to confront somebody because they feel like they're not perfect, so how can I say that to them? So we really talk about accountability in that regard as walking shoulder by shoulder with it. You don't have to be better than somebody else. I'm helping you through the process. So we try to help them communicate effectively in that way that they're both going through that together, shoulder to shoulder, not me above you or, or me below you. We're going through it together to try to take some of that edge off and add to some of the, the comfort level. Cause that was, and obviously get your veterans to work with the rookies. Like, okay, hey, here's what coach means. You know, it's part of communication. Yeah. One thing I, when I went to Coach Myers' practices, man, the kids, they played hard. I mean, they gave yeah. great effort. What did you pick up on coaching with them and for them that you use today to get your kids to, to play at that high level? I, I think one, I mean, on our end, it's recruiting. You know, to be honest, and, and then I've coached high, you know, I coached high school a long time, and, and looking back, your most competitive teams were teams that enjoyed playing, and, and I think some of the work ethic part of it comes to not draining them, not 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 squeezing the life out of them at times, and we tend to do that. You know, we, we talk about you know recreate, recreate, you know, do those types of things. They enjoy playing. So that should be where they compete. That should be where they have fun. Uh, we've tried to just do some things to keep them, uh, you know, like we'll, we'll do a period in practice to where uh, in order to score the basket, you got to score two on it or it doesn't count. So you got to get the ball back out of the net again and score it again or you don't, get, you don't score on that possession. Just things like that to get them um, – juiced up a little bit, uh, obviously competing against time and score, you know, all those things that we've done. But a lot of it is just getting them to have fun and enjoy playing. And I think that's when the competitiveness part of it comes out. One of the quotes in there in your notes that you weren't even sure which coach it was from or if it was from one of them. You weren't sure, but it was so good you wanted to put it in there. You said <laughs> people tend to rise to the level of their own expectations. Well, I think first of all, to help them understand, especially kids now, that their worth does not come from the game. That 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 their worth comes from, you know, for us as a Christian, it comes from it comes from God. But it doesn't. Somebody doesn't define your worth for you, and that your expectations and your beliefs will carry you through that. And getting them to see the big picture in it, and so often they they limit their beliefs, and you know. It, they they have a very fixed mindset in what they're talking about and, and don't see that, hey, wait a minute, just because I, I, I turned the ball over, let's use that as a learning opportunity, not the fact that I just failed right there. And seeing that, you know, Buster only told Coach that the, that the biggest thing for, for Major League pitchers was not being successful, was getting past failure. And in basketball, just like baseball, is a game of failure. And getting through that and being able to learn from those mistakes and not repeat them. So that, that's something that I think very important for kids right now to understand that you know these it's not failures it's learning opportunities kind of like coach meyer was always focused on his like self-improvement right 
getting yeah. better, learning through maybe mistakes, learning through your life experiences, and continue to strive to get better each and every day. He talked about that's what carried him through the accident. You know, he would talk about NBA, the next best action. You know, what's the next thing I can do right now? Lou Hope said win. What's important now? But but getting your mind to the next thing I can control and do. He said that's what got him through rehab and got him through sitting in the car when he had the wreck and, and everything. I still and go Pat, like Pat was with the Alzheimer was, you know, we've seen it now, was right foot, left foot breathe, you know, yeah. to the next action. I, I, I'll still go back to this. I told Troy when I was, I think I was 20, 24, 25. Got hair? Yeah. And I, and, I, and I went down. I went down for the clinic with my buddy Scott Simpson. I, I swear I was, I was outside a, we're at some restaurant and we're on kind of the little sidewalk area sitting down. And he starts asking me about my transition offense and about what I'm going to run. And, he, and I'm sitting there looking at this guy going, what the? This guy's like a legend, and he he's got his my he's recording it, he's taking yep. notes, and I'm like he's doing that with me. What's going on here? But then when you're around him, you understood that he he was so much he would go learn from a you know from a custodian or from a secretary. He, he had a mindset that he could learn from anybody at any time. And that was what I was going to say at any time. And, and the, the funny thing is, both of them were like that. Both of them. They didn't care. Middle school, junior pro, NBA coach. They were as comfortable with it. And coach was more comfortable with high school coaches than middle school coaches, to be honest. He said, that's where your best teaching goes on. And, you know, Pat the same way. And, and that was always what, as a high school coach, that's what always, you know, I saw. That was more than anything was how both of them were, to use the word we use all the time now, authentic with people. Yeah. And you felt like you could trust them. You, were, you felt like she was... You were one of them, and she was one of you. Not only leadership, servant, servant leadership. Yeah. yeah, he said there was no other kind. He said you can't be a leader if you're not a servant. He would talk about there's no pecking order. You know, he would say we all pee in the same barrel with a drug test, you know, meaning that we're all in this together, and that a leader was there to serve the followers, not to be served. And a lot of times, you know, and, and we get our egos in the way, and we think, well, I deserve, you know, he didn't believe in entitlement. And you look at the background that both of them came from. Both of them came from a farmer's mentality. You know, and Pat would talk about, you know, cows don't take a day off. Coach grew up on a farm. So, you know, they understood the work ethic part that goes into being a leader, but they were there for everybody else. And obviously when you look at the amount of influence that they had throughout, you know, they were very successful in that. And, and that's the – they understood that role of it, and at times we get, as a, as a coach, we get diverted, you know, from that, from what our real task is. You know, we as coaches always talk to our kids about being mentally tough, mentally tough, yep. getting through this, getting through that. But one thing I really focused and it hit me was that he talked about the coaches have to be even more mentally tough because we're leading the players through challenging times. And sometimes us as coaches aren't mentally tough. What can we do to start being more mentally tough and taking on challenges? Well, I'll give you an example using me right here. You know, we get frustrated at our, at our players' body language and pouting. Well, crap, I was the one pouting and had bad body language when they were doing it. So they were just modeling what they saw. And I think, you know, being intentional about the things that we're going to ask of them and hold them accountable to, that, that we have to model and do that. And I think that's part of being a servant leader, that, that we're here not to know we're not perfect, but we've got to model the things that we're expecting. And that's what both of them talked about, you know, from you know, the first person to lead is yourself. And then if you can do that, then you just look for good followers. 
I think that's where we do our players and our families a disservice. Is you know, coach always said, don't don't ever you know expect somebody to do something you're not willing to do yourself. If we're going to have good body language and we're going to we're going to have good positive self talk, then I've got to be that way as well. If we're going to talk about controllables, then I can only talk about the things I can control and get off the referee. You know, coach my team. Do you have someone that that kind of evaluates you, look at you, and kind of help coach you? Oh yeah, and. You know, one our staff. You know, I lean on them to to tell me when I'm not doing what I should be or or whatever. Uh, Bob Starkey, the dear friend at Texas A&M. Uh, you know, we work together a little bit. We've known each other a long time, and. Uh, I'll lean on him. There's a former player, actually, he's the first guy to hire me out of college here who played for Coach Meyer that, that'll show up at practice or be at some games or watch some of our games on tape and TV and and come back. And, and he's got no dog in the hunt. And he's got a fresh set of eyes. Pat was great about that. Billy Moore would come in a lot or just different co- high school coaches would come in and, you know, tell me what you see. Uh, same thing with Coach. You know, we always had people at practice or at games. And, and I think you need that those fresh eyes and you need that honest honesty sometimes you don't necessarily like it but you need it coach Meyer talks about if he was a young coach he wishes that a veteran coach or someone would have told him when he was young starting out you know, things i wish an older coach would have would have told me when i was younger yeah you know, i try to read through those daily <laughs> what are some of the best ones that you've taken from that i think you know one that jumped out at me was was get all the good ideas but you can't use them all and so often you're looking for too we add too many layers to our own lives and to the players. You know, keep it simple. You know, coach would talk about simplify, simplify, teach some, and simplify it some more. You know, he took a lot from, from, from older NBA coaches, you know, where it was Don Nelson talking about less is more. Jerry Krause, you know, Coach Krause, who just retired from Gonzaga. You know, he talked a lot about uh, building an army with you. You know, he said, you know, who's working for you when you're not around? And those people that, 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 what are they talking to your players about? Help you know they can send that consistent message, and also it's a sense of loyalty that they had for for you and the program right there. Another one that jumps out was just finding he coach called it his third place, find a place to get to where you could read and think, and nobody can get to you. You know, fifteen twenty minutes and. Really, really, and he really harped on that a lot towards the end, right there, the last you know three or four years of his of his life. You you've been mentored by them as a young coach, and then you get your head coaching job at Lipscomb. Going into that, I think you're going into, what, your fourth year being there. What can you say when you started out and looking back, you're like, man, I wish I would have been more prepared in these areas? You know, I was lucky in the fact that I I had worked for people from coach to to Pat to to Joy Williams, who gave me a lot of autonomy. So I I was able to to know, you know, have my hands in a lot. But also doing that, the thing I wish now I could start over with, I tried to do too much too soon. I tried to bring everything I had learned from Pat and coach and Joy all at one time, you know, with a fire hose just blasting it through. (laughs) There was no salt rain to it at all. And... I think the one thing that's taken me some time and really probably to this year is to develop your own voice. You know, coaches, I think I said before, get all the good ideas, but you can't use all of them. Adapt versus adopt. And so those are the things right there of going, you know what, this is what Pat did really well, and this fit UT, but it may not fit us here. Mm-hmm. Or this is what I think I could do a little bit better, and those types of things, and not being afraid just to have your own voice in it. Well, Coach, how, how can individuals get a hold of the book or, you know, connect with you, and um, how do they go about that? Yeah, they can email me anytime. My email is greg.brown at lipscomb.edu. And then if they want to purchase the book online, they can do it at www.coachbrown.com. 
You ever go to Opryland Hotel, Jim? You ever been there? <laughs> no, I haven't. I do like country music, but I haven't been there. I need to. Well, you guys need to come and visit, and we'll, we'll make sure we take you. Hey, I messed up. It's CoachGregBrown.com, not Coach Brown. I want to make sure I had that clear. It's CoachGregBrown.com. CoachGregBrown.com. Okay. I'll make sure. We'll, we'll get it up on the show notes, and we'll make sure that's uh, – I really appreciate, too, what you guys are doing. I, like I said, I listen to your podcast. That's how I, I run or jog, really, is what I do. But, you know, the message that you are getting out to players, and especially parents and coaches, uh, I, I want you guys – I know as coaches and – talent like you, you know, you don't hear the good things a lot of times, but it, it really is reaching out and, and making an impact on people, and, and I appreciate that personally. We thank you for that opportunity, and we wish you great things throughout uh, this upcoming season. Well, thank you. You too. We really appreciate it. Critics are calling The Jim Huber Show funny, thoughtful, informative. But those are the guys that we're paying. All right, I think everybody has to have a personal philosophy of how you live your life. Uh, here's mine, very simply put. You plus motivation equals success. I have that only thing in my locker room. There's nothing else in my locker room but that sign. You plus motivation equals success. I have it on cards, bookmarkers. I have it on everything. I, it's, it's what is, it drives me. It's a passion. I was 16 years old. I heard the Reverend Bob Richards speak. Remember him, the Wheaties guy? It's Kathleen uh, uh, Pole Vault Champion Olympics. And this is what he said, right? Gentleman said it before, but this is what, this is what I was 16. Bob Richards looked over a group of these young kids at a basketball camp and said, the Lord must have loved ordinary people because he made so many of us. And then he said the line that changed my life at 16 that I felt then. I'm 41 years old. I've been working 21 years in my business, and I feel it the same way today. He said, every single day, in every walk of life, ordinary people do extraordinary things. Ordinary people accomplish extraordinary things. And I raised my hand. I'm applying for the job right now. I'm an ordinary guy. I want to do extraordinary things in my life. And I believe it. And I think that's strong. I think that's what it's all about.